This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a podcast of Stand Up Straight on Joy 94.9. In this episode, Megan from Transpositions and myself, Clayton Wimshurst, interview Tina and Jessica about the upcoming book, Introducing Teddy, a story about being yourself. Are you nervous? Yeah. Yeah? Yes. <laughs> oh, what do you get to be nervous about? It's fine. It's just like, just four people in a room just talking. Oh, look, my partner and I were talking the other day about how um, I was probably more nervous for the interview with the Pakenham Gazette than I was for the one with the BBC because it felt closer to home and mm-hmm. my friends all read it and, you know, it was, yeah. So I still get nervous every every interview. I'm just not. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much publicity and process come out of you releasing the book? It sounds like, and what I've seen on the internet, there's been heaps of stuff. Has it been crazy? It has been crazy. Um, and as I said, I get quite nervous with media. So it's been, yeah, lots of late night and early morning interviews to try and fit in with the time in Ireland or England or Brazil. I've been talking to Pat Kenny from Ireland and spoke to the Daily Mail and the Guardian and the BBC. And it's So been... it's like having a newborn baby getting up all hours to feed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Well, uh, our son has been teething the last few weeks. Mm. So it's been, you know, a blur of, of crying babies and media interviews and my normal day job. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I bet your son, one of the first books which is going to be read to him is obviously going to be this one, I, I think. <laughs> oh, well, actually, his um, favourite book already is Dirty, Dirty Dinosaur. That's his favourite, hands down. Um, and he really loves Scarface Claw as well. But the book isn't finished yet, so I'm sure that as soon as it's done, we'll sit down and read uh, it to him. How yeah. old is he? Uh, 18 months. He's really young. Yeah, he's very uh, little. Uh, it's just one of my stories. I've got a, a book that I read to my son. I've got a seven-year-old, and it's called Kisses for Daddy. And I read it to him and it's about this little bear child and his father taking the baby to bed, the little bear to bed. And it's just like no kisses for daddy. And it's just this whole interplay between the child or between the bear and the the father. And I read it to him. And what I do sometimes, depending where he's at, I change the words or change some of the pronouns for the father sometimes. And last night I was reading it to him and it's just like, okay, so daddy, can we say he, she? For the father, the pronouns, I said, yeah, that's fine, we'll do that. So we use he, she for the father. Try to normalise it with kids and yeah. that's really kind of important. Yeah, we have quite a few books that have mums and dads in them at home and occasionally I might change a pronoun or a character here or there. Um, so I think it is important. We've really been trying lately to find books that reflect our family so we don't have to do that so much. And there are books starting to come out now, with, certainly with um, same-sex parents, but yeah, less picture books out there with transgender characters obviously so yeah we're, we're really looking for them and hoping to build that up one thing that clayton and i were talking about a while ago i think it was on stand up straight mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago we spoke about it'd be is a fantastic market opportunity for for children's books which are trans themed for not only for children whose parents have come out as transgender but also kids who identify as being trans as well and there's a there's a book which is also getting around which is called George yes, yes. heard about that mm-hmm. right. yeah. yeah so um, I've bought a couple of copies and they're on their way um, and I've got an iBook copy as well just because I got a bit excited um, <laughs> so well, we're hoping to get um, our young Bella who is a young trans girl who um, we've done some interviews on 
both programs really. Yeah, so, absolutely. And we're hoping to get her in to read some of that story. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. I was really excited to hear about that too. And I think um, it, it's the right time now. Everyone mm. has realised that these books need to happen. So it's good to see them coming out. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that with conveying the trans narrative to the younger generation that it's okay to be trans is a part of the normal part of the normalizing process that we can actually start to have with children a part of the education process that we have with our kids because with our kids it's not always about about princesses and princes and frogs and this and everything else there's also different parts of life as well where you know we might be born a certain gender but we might identify with something else and the only perspective that a child has is through the eyes of the parents who educate the child do you think that sort of some of the books or the book that you're writing is instrumental with doing that I think that the kids today are already so open-minded and they're they're really, I guess, more assertive about being themselves. And so I think the books that need to be out there are books that support kids to be themselves, no matter what that means. So I think there need to be more picture books out there with children with disabilities as well, or families that have a family member with a disability. And that's something that I'm passionate about too, writing something like that down the track. What do you think? Oh yeah, I just think there's just been huge reaction and there's just this amazing market out there for, I don't think there's enough material out there Mm. really for parents they're really sort of scrambling and they're searching the internet to try and yeah. try and find some resources which I think that's really reflected in the reaction we've had with the, with the book that you've written yeah yeah people are saying do you know of any other books like this I've had quite a few people getting in touch and and I think there are some out there but it's just now I think perhaps we're at a, a point where instead of trying desperately to find something like that on the internet some people are just making the decision to write something like that themselves that's what I've done and I'm coming across lots of people who have successfully written books about a lot of different topics where they just couldn't find what they needed and so they wrote it. Certainly why I wrote this book. With writing the book like that, how are you trying to then start to write it but also try and get that book published because it's not just writing. You've obviously then got to try and get this book out somehow. Uh, So I had heard about a book from a friend that had um, lesbian parents and they told me about this Kickstarter campaign that the author was doing to try and get the book published. So I went and backed my first Kickstarter project and the book arrived um, and it was beautiful. It was beautifully illustrated it was beautifully written and it reflected my family and my family's story and it was just I suddenly realized that something like crowdfunding can be used to produce a really good quality well-written book it's just a way it's a platform for getting that kind of book out onto the internet and social media and I think more and more authors will probably use Kickstarter and other crowdfunding sites as a way to launch a project like this. Did you attempt to any mainstream publishers before you started the Kickstarter or just went straight to Kickstarter? No, I went straight to Kickstarter. What do you think the perception would be with going to a normal mainstream publisher? Would they be inclusive with the project or do you think that they would just be quite dismissive of it and thinking there's not a market there or would it be something which is too controversial that they don't want to associate themselves with? I think that publishers are actually getting switched on to the fact that people want these kinds of books so I think we'll see more and more of them in the next few years. We've certainly had a bit of interest in our book um, because of the Kickstarter and how well it's done so I definitely think that we're at that moment where things will change and publishers will really be looking for books like this. I mean it's interesting I was in publishing for 20 years and I think sometimes it's actually just hard to knock on the door of these publishers. I think it's hard to actually get in the door. I'm sure that they're interested in the subject but sometimes I think it's just hard to actually just to actually get your proposal in there to get them to have a look at it and I think the new model now of 
doing um, Kickstarter and other crowdfunding platforms gives authors the chance to actually get out there, promote their book and um, show how successful it is. And then I think then publishers can have a look at it and realise that um, it's quite a viable option. Well, there's not many publishers that accept unsolicited manuscripts, so it is really hard. It's a a tough process. And because there are so many authors out there trying to put their proposal forward, I think a Kickstarter campaign is a way of proving to a publisher that that you do have a market for your book, um, that you're able to market it. They're able to see a bit of the the book usually through the Kickstarter too, so they can have a look at illustrations and, and your promo video and get a feel for the book. So it's just a different way of getting your book out there. It'd be interesting to see how that goes with publishers and yeah, how well they'll sort of take that on board. I think it's really interesting though too that the issue of transgender and gender diverse people in children's books, the issues are cross-generational. So you've got parents that are looking for, parents that have trans and gender diverse children looking for books with kids in them, but also you know, kids that have books that have parents that are trans and gender diverse and of course books that have grandmas and granddads that are um, trans and gender diverse. Yeah it's, um, it's, a, it's a huge market and there's just not a lot around but um, obviously we've touched a nerve because um, the response is amazing. When we, when my partner and I started looking for books that reflected our family situation, you know we recognised that you know I'm disabled my partner and I are in a same sex relationship with a child, dad is transgender it was going to be a challenge to find the right kinds of books but as I said I think more and more books that we've seen George recently news about that coming out I think there's going to be more and more books that reflect diverse families and publishers will will surely recognize now that 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 needs to happen. It's such a blossoming market when you think about it because it's suddenly it's slowly becoming more palatable for people to be trans and to come out in terms of well, being authentic as, as to who they are. You know, someone once said to me quite recently actually that it's not brave being trans, you're being authentic, you're just being you. That really sort of, I had to think about that a little bit and I thought well in one sense you're sort of really bucking societal trends but at the same time yeah you're being genuine and authentic. When you think about books obviously to try and capture the essence of a story as to what we hold as a truth as an individual and obviously then communicating that through to an audience and when you look at what you've done with your book it's capturing a truth it's capturing authenticity as to a story of what's happening with a bear and obviously narrating it in terms of the context that a child can understand and make perfectly good sense and to me that whole idea of normalizing the whole experience and perspective as to what it's like being trans I think that's a great story there's, there's definitely a huge market for it. I mean, the simplicity of the theme is reflected in the simplicity of the drawings. I mean, the illustrator here is just, uh, it's just amazing, and I think that's the whole thing about this book. It's such a, it's a, it's a very simple, clear theme, and it, yeah, the illustrations are just, just gorgeous, aren't they, Jess? Yeah, the, the idea that I had for this story was for the friends around. Tilly the bear to just to respond in a way to be completely accepting and immediately accepting and when I wrote this book I wanted it to be a simple lovely story about friends accepting each other for who they are that was and I think that the the illustrations as you say that Tina they they really they're simple they're cute they're just you know, they're meant to be a really, the book is meant to be something really gentle and sweet. Do you feel that obviously in your case, your family situation, it's different to a lot of other families and what's happened in your case in terms of how you've accepted each other? Uh, obviously, Tony, you've come out as being trans and just you're in a same-sex relationship. With that, as you described earlier, it's it's quite unusual. Um, and which is when we look at the rest of the heteronormative, heteronormative society, yeah, it definitely is. But do you find that the narration of that 
book really does capture the essence of, of really just being there and really breaking it just down into simple terms. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think when you talk about, you know, our family sort of, you know, being a bit unique with the, with the situation we have, I mean, my former partner and I, when we bought our uh, recent house, all the kids laughed because it, uh, it we, they said, oh, what's the, the street that it's in? And it turned out it's called Bent Street. <laughs> <laughs> and we thought, how appropriate. <laughs> that is appropriate. Yeah. The other thing that's been surprising about the reaction to the book is how many people who aren't trans or aren't gay are interested in this book. So I really wasn't sure that we would actually hit our funding target. I was quite nervous about that. So I made it longer than your average Kickstarter campaign. And I thought, look, this probably won't work. And if it doesn't, you know, the illustrator and I will have, you know, 10 copies published of our, our first book. We'll have it on our shelf. It'll be something that we can read, you know, to our kids and, and, it'll be something that I can tick off my bucket list you know I've written a picture book and then I was surprised at at how many people contacted me to say I've um, you know I've backed your kickstarter campaign I'm not gay I'm not trans but I think books like these are important that was amazing yeah I think how was it five days that you hit your target something like that it yeah. was pretty wow. quick wow it's incredible yeah, yeah. obviously there's been a, a quite a supportive response to it but has there also been a negative response to it as well yeah look there have been a few crazy YouTube videos um, <laughs> wow yeah but apart from that no we've had an unbelievably positive response and one of the things I was nervous about was talking to media you know when I for the first interview was with The Guardian and I was really nervous and I, I didn't know what kind of article it would be and it was so positive it was just it blew me away it was something that I could share with my friends and family and I was so proud and excited and then it just kept happening I kept thinking oh you know maybe this interview will be the one where you know a horrible question gets asked or you know they they write about how controversial it is to write a book like this for kids and it just never happened I think that says something about where we are now as a society we've we've got such a long way to go but I think we're at that point where certainly the journalist I journalists that I've been speaking to are ready to write these sorts of articles about these sorts of books. You know, there's a um, there's a bit of a golden rule in the trans community that says don't read the comments, don't read the comments. <laughs> whenever, you, whenever you see a mainstream article in uh, newspapers and things, um, there hasn't been a lot of negative stuff. And yeah. if I do see a negative comment, then I'll stop reading the comments. <laughs> Part of the, yeah, I get sort of curious about comments and exactly what's going to be said about different things. And it's you, know, you, you get quite nervous as to what happens and what people's viewpoints and certain things are going to be because you're really putting yourself out there. You're being so incredibly vulnerable and then to sort of have people really cut you to shreds in the most demeaning and dehumanising way possible. It's quite demoralising, to be honest. I mean, we thought that, um, I think probably we thought, oh, well, you know, we'll hopefully get enough sales here in Australia and it'll pay for the for the printing and that sort of thing and then but when you realize actually that you, the book is is um is getting such global reaction it's actually quite a vulnerable space to be in yeah. you know it's the it's the court of world opinion that's out there so it's a bit scary isn't it when it started going global and we started getting calls from journalists in other countries I started to look at the photos that I'd put up on the the kickstarter page and think oh god you know my family and my child are, are up on that page and I did feel quite vulnerable but I've just been overwhelmed by the positive response. Tina, when you first read the manuscript, how did you react? Oh, I cried. Oh, I thought it was the most beautiful book. You know, it's been... Um, I mean, my children have been amazing since I've come out. They've just been so, so loving and accepting. And we've always been a very loving and accepting and inclusive sort of family. So when I read it, it just... It was kind of like all those years of parenting and you see all these these, these lovely values being reflected in the, 
the book that Jesse's written and just sort of the, the warmth and affection that comes through in the book. And I just sort of thought, oh, I was just overcome with, um, I mean, it sounds corny. I was just overcome with love, love for Jess and love for my kids and just proud of them. So, yeah, that was my reaction. That's a good reaction. Yeah. And then about once a day for the next four or five days, I kept playing it and just having a good old cry again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. Do you find that obviously in your case with being transgender and that's really instrumental to know that I've got that family support. I have people around me who are so important to me in my life and they love me regardless and they love me so much they're going to write a book about it. Uh, and they're going to try and educate other people about it as well. Well, I think, too, it, that's true, and it was wonderful. But also, it was lovely that the principle of just accepting people as they are. So it wasn't just about being transgender. It's about the whole principle of accepting someone if they're disabled or, you know, whatever their sort of difference or whatever it is that they, they need to feel authentic. It was just that principle coming through in the book, and I was just so proud. Pretty amazing. And I am very lucky. I mean, I've got such an amazing family behind me, so... You're very lucky. I am very lucky. Mm. I know. When, yeah. you, when you think about other trans people out there who aren't quite as fortunate, how does that make you feel when you know that you've got that family there behind you who really do support you? Oh, gosh. I mean, sometimes I feel guilty. I mean, th- through Gender Diversity Australia, I sort of I come into contact with a lot of people and you get you realise that some, part, some people's journey through transition, you know, their journey to being authentic can be so much harder, you know, and there's so much, often so much loss and hurt and grief, you know. I mean, not everybody. I feel privileged. I think, and um, sometimes I do feel a bit guilty about it. I think it's important to recognise too that it was still a difficult experience for you and that as a family we all had to basically, I think, transition, we transitioned as a family um, and so there were times where, you know, even though we were accepting we might not have been as fantastic as we could have been. You know, I'm still learning to be a trans ally and I think it's, yeah, it's it hasn't always been easy for Tina. She's been just so amazing and, and we're all so proud of her and everything that she's achieved. It's interesting. It's, um, they say, you know, it, and it's very true that um, often when the person that's transitioning is um, going through their journey, the rest of your family and your close friends are all trying to catch up and just when they think that they've caught up, they realise that you've run five miles ahead again. So it's actually, it's very hard for the people around you. Well, for me anyway, I felt very responsible, you know, because you've sort of caused all these ripples. So it's hard, I think it's hard for the families, but you know, look, it's true. I mean, they, they come out with you and not necessarily by choice. It's hard, you know. It's, it's not as hard for the, the families as it is, as you know, it's not as hard for the people around you as it is for you. I think as much as you are lucky to have your family, I think your family is lucky to have you because, as the film says, our children are about the sum of us. So it's not as much luck as what you've done as a person as well. It's true, you know. I mean, we look back, Tess, my former partner and I, we often talk and we look back and I mean our, our family dinners would start at six o'clock and go till nine o'clock at night and we'd be talking about you know the environment and politics and social issues and stories about our day and I think all those um I think the storytelling that was involved over that period just meant that as as a family and also with you know as a with our kids that there's this sense of um open-mindedness and and you know resilience and sort of flexibility and i think that sort of showed through too when i was transitioning so yeah we're pretty proud of them what i wanted to try and sort of have a think about is you're both really allies for each other in one sense jess you you reflect one part of the rainbow community uh in terms of who you are and tina you also represent another part of the rainbow community as well when we look at shows such as stand up straight Mm -hmm. it's about support irrespective as to straight, bi, 
um, gay, lesbian, trans, whatever. Do you think that really with your case, because you both fit into the rainbow community, you've got that inner sort of support there for each other as well, that more than what you'd normally might have with straight ally or cis ally, I should say as well? No, it's interesting. I think um, when we've talked a lot about um, you know, when Jesse came out, and I think a lot of people have assumed because Jess had come out gay that, you know, oh yeah, that'd be fine, you know, just, you know, she's come out before and so she can handle dad coming out. And that's true in a way. Yeah, it was, um, it was something we worked through, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it was, there was a period where I was experiencing Tina's transition as her daughter. Um, and so even though as a gay woman I could. Uh, I had a lot of, I think I was in a, a really accepting place. As as Tina's daughter, I probably had to work through some issues that were separate to that. And so, you know, like I said before, there were times where maybe I wasn't as amazing as I could have been, <laughs> <laughs> um, where I might have said something um, inappropriate or used the wrong pronoun or maybe expressed some feelings of, of grief about certain things. But I think on the whole, I was accepting. And I think that being gay myself... Um, it, it did help me through that process because I did remember how difficult it was to come out um, and to tell your family. And I mean, one of my one of my um, little regrets about not coming out sooner was it it would have been nice to come out at the same time as Jesse came out, and we could have we could have we could have been out there protesting together and doing the pride <laughs> marches together. That would have been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Look, I did. You know, when you came out, I was like, oh man, that could have been so cool. Um, you know, if I'd known a bit sooner, but I think you came out when you were ready to. Yeah, and true. Yeah, but I, I think it will be there will be future Pride marches together. So I'm oh, excited yeah. about that. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, definitely. That sounds great. Yeah. You know, as you said, you know, you have to transition as well. It's not only just Tina transitioning. It's also you're having to transition your thought processes about your parent as well, because you know, she is not a he. She's a she. And and that's obviously a part of the process that you've got to get to get your mind around that I have to transition my thought about about my parent, about Tina, because she's obviously going through something which it's hard for me to understand at this point in time. Tina's obviously been dealing with it for all of her life, um, but you've only been exposed to it for a very very short amount of time, and then you start to have to get your mind around exactly what's going on with the transition and what that means. It is. Uh, I think that. Everyone, uh, certainly my siblings and I have talked about this, that it's made us better people going through this experience because, you know, there is a little time there just after your parent tells you where you have almost a a selfish reaction. I mean, first, certainly in in the instant where Tina told me, I was completely accepting. Um, But then, you know, you go through, how does this affect me? And And it's such a selfish thing to go through. And it's at the time where that person needs you to be there for them the most. Um, but I recognise that there were obviously some things I had to work through in my mind and um, and it, I was lucky to have my siblings um, with me on that journey so that we could work through it together and all of us recognised that, you know, we, we needed to be um, accepting and supportive. And so I think, yeah, this, this whole journey has been one that has made us all better people. And now Tina is herself and that's the most important thing, that um, that all of us can be ourselves within our family and it's a privilege to know someone as themselves. If I feel like any 
any worries I felt were about a fear of losing something and eventually you realise that you haven't lost anything at all. In fact, you've gained a deeper understanding of a family member and you become closer to that person and you realise, wow, now I know really who you are. Um, Not that you weren't who you were before, Mm. (laughs) but you know that person better and that that is a positive thing. I mean, one of the really... One of the really interesting um, uh, things has been that uh, as I've sort of come out the other side of transition, I found myself learning more from the, the gender fluid and gender diverse people in that I know for a lot of trans trans people, they actually kind of reject their their previous assigned um, gender. Whereas for me, I think part of the transition process has actually been learning to um, accept the male part of myself, you know, to sort of go, well, look, I, you know, I lived 50 years as a male and I was a, I was a really good dad and I was a really good son and a great brother and there were really good times. And I think um, with my children, I think it's been really important once I got through that initial year or two to kind of really reassert that I'm dad. I'm your dad. I haven't gone. I'm still here. And we did some great things and really good memories. And, um, you know, I still want to do Father's Day, but I want flowers, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that's been really important too, just to kind of reaffirm for the kids that I didn't die. You know? <laughs> like I'm still here and I'm still a dad. Um, and I love that part of myself, but I recognise myself as, as female and I, I, I live female, and but half of my life was lived male. And I accept that. I love experiencing the joy that I, that I lived over that time. I wanted to find out, and from your perspective, you saw, you see the world through the same eyes, both before transition and also after transition as well. How, how did other people's reactions and, and dealings with you impact on your life and how you felt about things? Look, most people were really good. I think some of your old community can't make the journey with you, but no one was ever really hostile to me. It tends to be more just some of those relationships fade because I think the person they knew isn't the same person you are now and they find it very hard. I lost some of my community. I mean, I lost my, I really lost my job through it, which was hard. But when I look back on it, I sort of think, oh, well, thank God I did because I moved on to something better. <laughs> Again, I've been fortunate. I've, I've had so many people around me. And I mean, I'm really conscious that a lot of our gay friends, our straight friends, our trans friends, you know, they've, they've made the journey with, with me and with us. I'm pretty proud of that, you know, so. Because you've come out of this with an absolutely amazing family. Yeah. A beautiful grandchild as well to be in your life. Um, I have two beautiful grandchildren. Two. I'm yeah. sorry, two. <laughs> Do you want to see some pictures? I'll show you some pictures. <laughs> uh, Tina is an incredible grandma. That's been, um, again, a, a change that our family has gone through, um, the next generation coming along. And that's changed all of us as well in a really wonderful way Um, and Tina is just the most nurturing loving grandma so that's been beautiful to see. I guess that brings up another question about the names that you use around each other does Jess still use dad or like what's the terminology? We talked about that when Tina transitioned and and we ended up deciding that we would still call Tina dad Mm -hmm. but with obviously the correct pronouns and using Tina's name and um, but my kids will or know Tina as grandma and I think that's that's a really lovely thing they will only ever have known Tina as as Tina mm-hmm. I think too you know there's a lovely kind of um uh gender fluidity like my grandchildren will grow up hearing my children calling me dad but they'll be calling me grandma or Tina 
if they if they want to, and they won't think twice about it. You know, they'll they'll be able to sort of you know flip backward and forward between that and not won't worry them because that's all they've. Ever, I think sometimes that's the hope of that next generation. And yeah, and I you know I mean in some ways that's that's what the book taps into. You know, this is the this generation coming through. You know, the, the, wouldn't it be lovely to have these children growing up, not bogged down by the same sort of um, need to put things into you know gender binaries or mm. to have things you know as a fixed thing you know it's yeah. it's nice to think that they can grow up with as they grow up they'll they'll deal with issues of um gender and sexuality in a kind of a, an inquiring sort of way you know they they'll explore it and it's kind of nice you know yeah hopefully so. there'll be a lot more freedom there and you know i'd like to see you know big stores getting rid of you know gendered clothing sections and toy sections. I mean, we're starting to see discussions around that happening. I'd like to see that happen before my child is old enough to understand that there ever was something above the the jumpers with dinosaurs on it saying boys' clothing. I, I would really love my son to grow up in a world where you know it's okay to express yourself and and to wear whatever you like and to play with whatever you like without any worries about you know silly binary systems it's just you know and then you can you can have whatever you know you can be it's important that there's a freedom to choose who you are and and what you want to do and the less restriction we can have on that the better and I think this next generation that's just coming through now they understand that they can see that there are restrictions there but they also know that they're starting to be removed so I think they will push for that freedom. The people who object to disgendering the toy department their objection is often around why are we just letting boys be boys and girls be girls where it's actually we are we're just letting them not have to fit into one model of a boy and one model of a girl. My or son, in between if they like, of course. That's right. Mm. The other day we bought my son a T-shirt um, that had a, a sparkly unicorn on it and he wore it with this awesome kind of grandpa um, cardigan and he looked incredible and I just thought I, I want those, you know, gendered sections to be together before he's old enough to understand that some people might think it's strange for him to wear a sparkly unicorn T-shirt or, you know, some funky leggings. The the girls' section is a sea of pink and, and frozen and glitter and the boys' section is all blues and greys and dinosaurs and robots and it's just silly it's so arbitrary it doesn't make any sense I have this view I, I'm sure other people sort of think about the same things as well as so I, I look at as to how children are raised and I look at the expectations that we build into our girls that our girls are raised in a certain way that they must be princesses and there must be a prince out there to save them the same also goes with boys as well as that they're expected to be rough and tough and tumble and everything else like that because they've got to be that person who goes and saves that woman or that that girl I, I i look at this and i say why do we need to set these expectations that our children must behave and act these certain ways because in one sense we've been doing a bad job of this for a long time now when we look at violence against women and a lot of times we're setting our girls up for failure and also our boys up for failure as well because we educate our girls that they must cover up they must do this they must do that we don't let our girls be comfortable with who they are and there seems to be this rape culture within boys as well that that they have to sort of do this or express this or express that to be a true man so to speak when you look at what you're trying to do with your son you're really trying to break down that stereotype and try and raise your son into a different way altogether that that stereotype or that expectation doesn't exist with him and how 
he might grow up do you think that your son's going to be a, a better person for that whether it's man woman or however they choose to be do you think they're going to be a better person because of this I think one of the most damaging things that we do to boys is set up this link between being strong, the concept of being strong, the idea that you shouldn't express your emotions. And I I really hope that by the time my son is old enough, by the time my son is is surrounded by you know all of these messages in the media and from peers and that he understands that that it's actually a kind of strength to be able to be sensitive and to express your emotions and to be who you are and I think there are a lot of parents who are ready to tackle those kinds of of ideas and to have those conversations with their kids about the fact that what they see around them and the things that are said to them by society about who they should be as boys or girls are ridiculous um It'll take time to change things in the media and in society more broadly. But as parents, you have a responsibility to try and help your kids to navigate their way through the world as it is now. And so, I mean, Errol is 18 months, but I think a lot about the kinds of conversations that I want to have with him about gender expectations and the kind of roles that boys and girls are expected to play. Obviously, you know, there's society is starting to talk about, you know, things like um, violence against women and... Um, you know, we're starting to look at, at how we can have those conversations with kids in schools. Um, and as a parent, again, you know, it's early days, but I'm I'm thinking about those conversations already. I think a lot of parents are. Tess and I, as, uh, as parents, we actually made a decision before we had children that we were going to share the parenting. So Tess did the first four or five years and I did the second four or five years at home. So our children growing up really didn't to have that sort of fixed gender role thing you know they had time where uh, mum was at home and then and dad was coming home from work at the end of the day and then they had several years where dad was at home and mum was coming home at the end of end of the day and it was really it's lovely to see that uh, um, as my kids are becoming parents they're sharing the parenting role too you know so that that kind of I think I, I really take my you know, might take my hat off to those parents that have the courage I think to decide that no we're going to share the parenting we're going to make sure that each one of us has some time at home with the kids you know so it's I think it's quite a courageous decision particularly for the guys I think there's a lot of workplace pressure for guys you know when the, when the baby is born for a lot of guys it's okay we'll take a week off but then we want you back there's that expectation and I think it takes a lot of courage to actually stand up to that expectation and go, my family's more important and I'm going to put my career on hold perhaps for a little while, you know. Do you think it's important for the men to spend more time away from work so they can bond with that child just that little bit more? Well, I think it's a real gift. I mean, I think you only have a few years while your children are young. Once they grow up, that's gone. You can't get that back. And I, I just think if it's possible well, for everybody, but if it's possible to actually um, take some time out of your career if you need to and be with your kids... I mean, I must say that those years that I was at home with the kids were the best years of my life at the time. I look back on that as just, oh, I'm so glad I did it. I mean, I'd say to any dads out there, you know, do it, do it. You know, that's fantastic. It's a lot of fun, you know, it's good. Tina was a lot of fun as a stay-at-home dad as well. She was always, you know, building us, you know, setting up temporary play equipment out out in the backyard or you know singing songs with us on the way home from school and heaps of dad jokes and yeah just I remember a lot of laughter there were always other kids around at our house and dad would make them you know a big pot of soup for everyone to share and the other families would come and pick up their kids and stay for dinner and it was just it was a really fun beautiful childhood and I got to spend time with both of my parents as a kid that was really important Um, so now with with our kids my partner and I are definitely making sure that we both 
both have some time at home and the, the three months that I had off work at home with my son were so important and so beautiful and that's actually what led to writing the book so I think it can be good in other ways too to to take time out. And I can remember um, because we'd made the decision for one of us to be home there was never a lot of money and we struggled but you know I remember days in summer where it was you know 35 degrees and um, I just go outside with a shovel and I'd dig a hole and put some plastic to line it and then I'd fill it up with water and the kids would, that'd be a swimming pool for the afternoon. The big tarp, yeah. <laughs> the, the hose, yeah. But we always found a way to have, have fun, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. good yeah. times. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. To, to head back to the book for a minute. Uh, no, it's great. This is fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely. Beautiful. You two are some of the best interview subjects I've ever seen, so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Why Teddy Bear? That was my question. <laughs> not quite sure (laughs) isn't that terrible to say not at all I think what I I really wanted it when I wrote the book I wanted the the character who was transgender in the book to not change drastically in terms of their appearance for the the discussion to be that the character um, tells their friend that they want to be a girl and that their friend says okay great and let's go and play so that was part of it but also I think teddy bears are everyone loves teddy bears they're really cute and and everyone I think most people had a friend who was a teddy when they were little and I just, I liked the idea of, of Tilly the teddy bear. It just And when I chatted to the illustrator, um, he loved drawing teddies and had already done some amazing illustrations with teddies. So once I saw one of his teddies, I just thought that's that's what I want. And I think too, there's something about there's something emotional about teddies. There's in one scene in the book where you know Teddy gets sad, and it's like, oh, I just want to pick him up and give him a cuddle, you know. Teddy's, oh, you know, an emotional emotional symbol, I think. Yeah. yeah. I was actually talking to a friend of mine who works in children's literature, who was saying that you know perhaps this story could be read as um, the you know the child Errol in the book who has the teddy. You know, maybe Errol is working through some issues around gender identity through the teddy, and I was like, wow, I didn't intend that, but that's that's an, an awesome reading of the book too. A so. bit of Calvin and Hobbes style. Or yeah. <laughs> emotional sorting out. Teddy is a, a Jungian, Jungian symbol. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, look, the, the illustrations themselves play a very important part within the book itself in terms of when you're also really trying to communicate that to a younger audience. How did you come across the, the illustrator for the for the book? So basically I had this idea for the story ready to go and I thought I'll put the call out on Facebook to friends and family and see if anyone knows anyone who can draw really well. And so I did that and my older brother said, oh, hey, there's this amazing person. Um, you know, they've never illustrated a picture book, but they're, they're fantastic. Go and have a look at, at his website. Um, and a lot of other people suggested as well. And so I spent all this time going through people's illustrations on Instagram or Facebook there were some incredible, incredibly talented people. Um, but as soon as I saw Dougal's illustrations, I knew that they were right for this book. So the, the one that decided it for me, um, Dougal had this illustration of a little kid staring up at um, at a scene at the aquarium. And it was just, uh, I actually, um, Dougal's given me that illustration and it's framed on my son's bedroom wall now. But that was the the illustration that, that made me go, yes, this is the guy. This, this is the person for my, um, I was very lucky to find him and hopefully we'll work on a lot of projects in the future together. Sounds beautiful. Really does. Thank you. I can't wait to have I can't wait to take a look at all the really good all the good illustrations once they're all available in the book. Yeah. Cuz I'm going to sign up. 
I'm going to buy it. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that too. Do you want to quickly tell us about the Kickstarter campaign in terms of where people can go and stuff? Yes, so um, they can go to um, the Kickstarter website and just look for Introducing Teddy, a story about being yourself. That's the the title. So um, they can jump onto the Kickstarter page and um, pledge. You can choose a reward. So there's paperback editions and hardback editions. Uh, I think there are still some signed copies left as well, a few. Um, So, yeah, there's... There's still a little bit of time left to get the book. There's also some, um, if you want to see some of the illustrations, you can see them on there and there's a, a video that you can watch that tells you a little bit about the book and its background too. So Yeah, and we do have a Facebook page too if people want to um, jump on there and have a look at some of the illustrations and uh, I've been sharing the fantastic articles that have been written about the book on that page as well. So that's a good way if people want to have a look at, at the progress our our journey as we've gone through the last few weeks so how do they find the facebook page good question how do they find the (laughs) facebook page uh it's it's introducing teddy on facebook yeah so if people want to have a look at our facebook page they can go to www.facebook.com forward slash introducing teddy introducing teddy is one word Yes, that's right. All one word. Introducing Teddy. Introducing Teddy. If you find a gorgeous illustration, you're on the right page. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything either of you would like to finish up with saying? I mean, I'd I'd actually like to... um, A lot of the support we've got... The support we've had from the trans and gender diverse community um, for this book has been just amazing. And, um, uh, you know, the the support we've had through various organisations like Transgender Victoria and the FTM Sheds and uh, Gender Diversity Australia and, oh gosh, through, I think, Rainbow Families... I've done something, and but anyway, um, I guess we'd just like to say thank you to for, to the community for actually getting behind it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and also um, there have been a lot of um, gay and lesbian organisations that have shared and promoted the book as well. So yeah, we've just felt a lot of love from from the Rainbow community. Um, and also, can I just shout out to a thank you to Neil Gaiman for sharing my book on his Twitter (laughs) because I think that's really what what started all of the the global attention Um, I mean we definitely had um, interest from overseas before that through um, through some different groups in the community but um, yeah that really kicked it along so thanks Neil if you're listening Neil Gaiman is amazing (laughs) yeah my favorite author in the whole world so that was yeah wow an amazing day that's amazing yeah Yeah. look guys thank you so much for joining us we've really appreciated your time coming in to talk to both stand up straight and also to transpositions as well Um, it's been amazing thank you so much it's been a pleasure hasn't it yeah Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun thanks for inviting us in that was great thanks so much for coming in thank you all right Thanks for listening to this podcast of Stand Up Straight. You can check out more at joy.org.au forward slash stand up straight. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.